Well, I want to continue with you today this conversation we're having about the subject of prayer by thinking on what it really means to dare to pray for others. Uh, it's the ministry that the Bible calls intercession. When we pray for ourselves, it's called petition. When we pray for other people, it's called intercession. And Webster's Dictionary defines intercession as the act of going between two parties on behalf of one of them. Of, of interceding for one party with the other party. And that particular ministry is the one that is being described in one of the small parables that Jesus tells as recorded in Luke chapter 11. And you might enjoy opening up in your Bible to that particular text. It's Luke 11 verses 5 through 8. But here's the gist of the, of the story that we read there. Basically, a, a man is in his home when a a traveler, a friend of his, arrives after a long journey. And because hospitality is a big deal, uh, especially in the ancient world and the Middle Eastern culture, even to this day, the man instantly thinks, how do I feed my friend? So he goes to his cupboards and he checks out the pantry and to his horror discovers he doesn't have enough bread, not enough food to serve this particular friend's need. Uh, he suddenly remembers that next door he has a very resourceful neighbor. So he gets out up from his table and he goes off to the next door neighbors and he pounds on the door. But unfortunately, it's quite late at night now. And, and he hears a, a shout from behind the door and the voice basically says, Go away! We're in bed! And uh, he's now faced with an even more complicated problem. He has to make a decision as to whether he is going to um, alienate the, the house guest he has at home by failing to feed him or whether he's going to risk alienating this guy who lives right next door to him all the time. So guess which choice he makes? He chooses on behalf of the one who's hungry. And he keeps pounding and pounding and pounding on the door, pleading the case for the man with the growling belly. And Jesus finishes the story in these words. He says, I tell you, even though he, meaning the neighbor, will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Even though the neighbor doesn't regard the intercessor as a friend worthy of responding to, he will get up and answer the door simply because of the man's persistence. Now, I want to invite you to hold on to that particular story and its lesson for us. And I want to take you to another tale in the Bible. This one is in Mark chapter 2. And again, you might want to refer to that in your Bible. And this one is an actual story of something that really happened. And I want to read it to you. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside of the door of the home, and Jesus preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to, to get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, 
He said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the text goes on to say that when the local religious leaders who were watching in on this whole encounter heard Jesus say those words about forgiveness, they were convinced he was blaspheming. He was violating the, uh, the Jewish prohibition against uh, idolatry. Who can forgive sins but God alone, they asked. And Jesus replied, I want you to know that the Son of Man, meaning himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And the man on the mat got up and took up his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, I want to invite you to think about these two stories of faith with me and what they have to teach us about the subject of praying for other people. I want you to take the direct and the indirect lessons that are for us uh, in these texts as we think about what it means to intercede for the sake of other people in our own prayers. And to get at this teaching, I want to pose some questions to you. These are not rhetorical questions. These are questions I ask, I, I'm asking you to, to answer personally, uh, to really come up with internal responses to, though you don't have to shout them out or anything, but I do want you to come up with questions, with answers. And the first of those particular questions is, who is on the mat in your life? Who in your circle of acquaintance, your your friends at school, your, your uh, family members, your neighborhood, your social circle, who is on the mat in the sense that they're on the ground in, a, in some euphemistic way or they're, they're, they're constrained in some manner that keeps them from moving on, they're stuck in some situation, they're crippled by some kind of condition, who do you know that's got something going on like that in their life? Maybe it's a Maybe it's a spiritual problem they have. Maybe there's a serious spiritual problem. Maybe there's somebody who is doing life without God, at least without any conscious sense or response or relationship with God. Maybe they don't even believe in God. Maybe they're going through life on their own terms, uh, turned in upon themselves. They don't even understand the principles of the kingdom of God, and they're at risk. They've, they've lost so much already. They, they're missing out on the most resourceful relationship of all, and they're at risk of, of living separate from God from all eternity. Maybe you have somebody in your circle who is stuck like that. Or maybe the, there's somebody you know who's got a, a, a really serious emotional paralysis of one kind or another. You know, something has happened to them. It's wounded them in some way over the course of their journey, and it is, it's crippled them. Uh, maybe they don't even see how much it's crippled them. But they're living with uh, uh, unresolved grief over some loss, something that didn't happen or did happen in their past, or, or they're dealing with some guilt over something they did or didn't do when it needed to be done, and it's just, it's haunting them. Or maybe they've got 
uh, some rage, some anger over some injustice that happened to them, and it's, it's breathing through a lot of the things they do, maybe even unconsciously, or, or they're seized with worry and anxiety all the time, and it infects how they do relationships and, and, and move their way through life, maybe even affecting their health. Uh, maybe you know somebody that is stuck in, in one of those ways, or maybe it's a, a financial uh, condition they have. They've lost their job. They've, they've, they've planned poorly, and they've got some really significant needs ahead of them, and they don't have the resources to meet those particular needs. Or maybe it's a physical problem, an addiction or an illness from which they just can't seem to get up. It could be a relational problem. It could be that they've just got something blocking uh, them moving forward with some member of their family or, or, or somebody in their circle of, of acquaintance, and it's, it's just got them crippled. It's got them paralyzed in some way. Who do you know like this? What's the name? What's the need of the individual? Or maybe it's the need of an institution or of an entire nation or a place. What's the need that comes to your mind kind of like a hungry house guest in the middle of the night? Who's on the mat? Who is on the mat? Chances are, if that person knew how to get off the mat, they'd have done so already. Isn't that right? Um, chances are, if you knew how to get them off the mat, you'd have done so already. Uh, but the reality is that this individual needs a more resourceful relationship to address their need. Uh, this, is, this is somebody that needs help in the same way that that hungry man in Jesus' parable needed food from another house. Uh, like, the, like the crippled man in Capernaum needed help from another source. Uh, they can't go there. They won't go there by themselves. And so what that person that you've named in your mind desperately needs is for somebody to carry them to Jesus. And that is where the second question I want to pose for you today comes in. Will you be their intercessor? Will you be the go-between? Will you be the person that takes them to the person that can meet the particular need? Now, don't answer that question too quickly. Uh, don't answer that question too blithely, though we often tend to. Uh, somebody shares a concern with us. How many of you said, well, I'll pray for you? Raise your hand if you ever said, oh, I'll pray for you. Right. And how many of you have found that 10 minutes later you, you've forgotten entirely about that need? Uh, it, can't, it went in one ear, went out the other. Maybe at best, you know, you sort of did a wave at heaven and pointed to them, hey, God, take care of that. You know, it was momentary like that. Right? That's our tendency. That's not intercession. That's not what the ministry of an intercessor is all about. The ministry of intercession is a much more muscular endeavor than that. It requires a, a heavy commitment. It's, it's like lifting a paralyzed person. I've done that. It takes putting your back into it to lift somebody in that kind of condition. Being an intercessor means being willing to feel the weight of somebody else's circumstances. It means to really think about, what would it 
be like to be in that place? What would that feel like? What, what would be the ripple effect of that condition if I were in that, on that particular mat? It's, it, it, it's letting into your heart and into your mind the full gravity of somebody's condition so that their burden becomes your burden. It becomes our burden. It's something that we're carrying with us everywhere we go in life. It won't leave us. It's in us now. We're sharing it with them. It's hard to be an intercessor. Let me just not sugarcoat that. But it's fantastic to be an intercessor too. Because every time we say yes to that question, every time we do that, we are becoming just a little bit more like Jesus. We're becoming a little bit more like the one who carried the ultimate weight of the world out of his love, who intercedes on our behalf with the Father. We're told in Romans 8 and verse 34 that Christ Jesus died. More than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also what? Interceding for us. That's right. Right now, he's advocating for our needs before the Heavenly Father, the Scriptures say. You know, sometimes... I find anyway that the weight of somebody else's condition is too heavy for me to carry alone. I, I just maybe by virtue of uh, being an old guy people talk to or the profession I have, I get people tell me their, their, their stories. And there are times when I think to myself, man, that is just too heavy to carry alone. And, and, and for that reason, I'm always encouraged by this story we read in Mark chapter 2 because what we get a picture of is, is of, of not just one person, but a whole group of people coming around the need of that paralyzed man and laying hands together on the mat. Again and again, we see that kind of picture in the Bible. Again and again, in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, we could spend a whole day on this, so I'm going to keep it short. We see pictures of God's people coming together around the needs of individuals or around the needs of a nation to pray together. In fact, we're told that it was on the day, on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, the disciples were all together in one place, and they were praying, and it was then that the Holy Spirit came in power and lifted everybody up and sent them out in the name of Jesus. We're told that, that, that when the church was born, that all the apostles were together. They were uh, gathered together, listening to the apostles' teaching, devoting themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, to praying. And it was through that Joining together, the Lord brought power to the life of God's people. Uh, that is an image I think we want to hold on to because when, when people come together and pray together in a unified way, it forms a, a cord of community that in some mysterious way uh, replicates uh, replicate something of that circle of community in which the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell in which the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in a sense, are taking hold of the mat of humanity and, and carrying it and reaching out for the sake of others. Uh, when we come together in, in, a, in a cordon of prayer like that for someone, it encourages us. Uh, it, it, it strengthens us in our faith. And in some mysterious way, 
it unleashes an even greater power than were we to try and carry the weight all by ourselves. So here's, here's a third question I want to leave with you today. Who could take hold of the mat with you? Think of that person. Think of that person on the mat that you have committed to being an intercessor for. Who else could join you in that intercession? Who else could make a commitment to that? I love how Alvin Vandergrand puts this ministry in his book, Love to Pray. We have it in our bookstore. It's been one of the resources we've been building this teaching around. And this is what he observes. He says, God seeks intercessors. God seeks go-betweens. Not because he lacks the wisdom or the power to govern the world without them, but because God, in his sovereign good pleasure, has chosen to govern the world through the prayers of his people. Think about that, would you? Go back to the story in Genesis at the very beginning of the human adventure and how God tells them to be fruitful and multiply and to exercise dominion over the creation. Prayer is one of the ways God invites us to exercise influence or dominion over this world. God could do this by himself, but he brings us, the Father brings us into the family business. The Father invites us to take hold of the power that he gives us and use it for the sake of others the way he does and in that way to become more like him. Becoming an intercessor is one of the greatest privileges that God gives us in this life. And, and Vandergren goes on to say, things will happen when we pray that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't prayed. And things will not happen if we do not pray that would have happened if we did. Think about that. E.M. Bounds, one of the great saints of, um, of an earlier era, says, prayer can do anything. Prayer can do anything God can do. It can reach into any place that God can reach. You know, I was uh, reminded of the truth of that um, in a very, very vivid way recently when I found myself in a neuro-ICU actually a neurocardiac ICU at Edwards Hospital. Uh, one of my closest friends, a colleague of mine here at the church, the Human Resources Director for Christ Church, uh, was in a devastating moment of need. Uh, Larry Ludi had contracted um, a, 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 a dangerous cancer. He had uh, got a tumor on his kidney uh, that was discovered uh, before Christmas this past year, he'd gone in at the end of January. They had removed the tumor. There were complications. There were more surgeries that followed that and procedures of various kinds. And all along through the weeks that followed, he contracted an infection. The infection was E. coli. The E. coli led to septic shock. And on one morning not long ago, his kidneys shut down, his liver shut down, his lungs shut down, his heart shut down. Boom. And he was basically gone. And a team of doctors and nurses at that hospital rallied heroically around him, tr desperately trying to save Larry's life. And I was there at the hospital. And, and, and the word that was spoken on the side quietly by one of the physicians, 5% chance he's going to live. 
95% chance he won't make it. And I and Larry's wife, Sherry, and a group of other family members and friends, we went into the next room, and we got down on our knees and we prayed. I mean, we prayed with shameless audacity. We begged God for Larry's life. We just pleaded with God to save Larry from this condition. And together, we carried him in our hearts toward Jesus. Well, miraculously, and that's the word that the doctor used, miraculously, Larry survived that particular crisis. And um, today, his lungs are working on their own. His heart is working on its own. His organs are coming back online. He's standing up for short periods of time. He's able to talk. He's able to pray for us. But we have not stopped praying for him. And that picture you're seeing, those pictures you're seeing up on the screens are our, of our staff because we have committed to a long journey of prayer for our friend Larry Ludi. Uh, we want Larry all the way back. We want Larry in the circle again. We want him here bearing testimony at this worship service of God's grace in his life. And multiple times since that terrible morning, we've been gathering together like this to join our hands around that mat together and to pray for Larry. We're like those four men who carried uh, that paralyzed man to Jesus. We're like those guys who saw that the way to Jesus was blocked by the crowd and looked around and said, there has to be a way. And they found the stairs and with their backs aching from the strain, lugged their friend all the way up the stairs and out onto the roof and then clawed and clawed and clawed at the roof with a shameless audacity. We're there for Larry that way. We're there for Sherry. We're there for the family in that way. And we are interceding for Larry to this day. How much passion, how much perseverance will you exercise for the person on your mat? What steps will you take? Here's my question. What practical steps will you take to carry someone the long distance in prayer? Past the obstacles, past the reversals, past the disappointments. What will that journey look like for you? Could you stay behind after the service today in your seat when everybody's flooding off to lunch and just spend a few extra moments praying for that person on the mat, bringing them before Jesus? Could you devote yourself for 15 minutes a day over the next seven days interceding for the one on the mat? Could you set your watch or your um, phone alarm to go off at certain times during the day and just give it five minutes? to really lift that person up, to feel the weight of their need and to bring them toward Jesus? Will you be an intercessor? Will you persevere and persist? Will you keep knocking and knocking at the door as Jesus commends in his teachings? You know, it, it strikes me there was this moment when those friends had done all they could and, and there was a hole open in the roof and there was darkness down below and they, and they let their friend down through the hole, through that black hole. And they did what? They let go. They had gripped so hard. Their hands were probably cramped from the weight of it. 
and then they let go. And there's a moment for every one of us when we have to do that too. There's a moment when we just have to sort of let our loved one, the person we've cared for, go into the hands of God. And sometimes it feels like throwing Frisbees into a black hole, you know? There are times when just the prayers disappear and we think there's silence, there's no response, there's nothing happening. Maybe even there's counterindications that God cares in those particular moments. And it's in those particular moments we have to lean into our faith in a deeper way than we ever have. I, I felt that with, our, with, with the situation with Larry. A lot of us have on our staff. We don't know what God has in mind. I mean, it, it could be that, that Larry is meant to go on from this life. It, meant to, it could mean that he's going to be left with a condition that will never let him come back to work here and for some other purposes. And so even though we pray very specifically, bring, us, bring him back, Lord. We have to trust God. And this is the final question that I want to pose for you as you exercise the ministry of intercession. Can you trust God? Can you trust Jesus to do what is most needed. One of the luminous scenes from a motion picture uh, that stays in my mind uh, is a, a scene from the movie Ray. Maybe some of you have seen it. It, it tells the story of a, of a little boy named Ray, seven years old. Uh, he is afflicted with uh, glaucoma. It blinds him. He's a, a young African-American boy. He's living in a poor rural community. And in this particular scene, he's coming into his house and uh, he's very worked up and he trips over the doorstep because he is, is losing his sight and he goes bam on the floor. I mean hard. He hits hard. It hurts. It hurts. And in that moment, he's lying face down on the ground. All of the horror of what's happening to him floods in. The darkness that's overtaking him, the despair, the sense of defeat, the hopelessness. And he cries out in prayer. I mean, he wails in prayer, calling out his mother's name again and again, but there's nothing but silence. And he's crying louder, and there's nothing but silence. And only the audience can see that his mom is in the room, just a few feet away. She's standing there, right within reach of him, and tears are streaming down her face because she's making a choice. She's making the painful choice to not do what the boy wanted in order to do what the boy needed. If he was going to make it the long journey that she saw before him. And after a few moments, the crying subsides, and little Ray begins to pull himself together. And you, you, you watch as he starts to lean into his hearing powers, as he begins to hear the sound of voices outside and even the movement of a, of a little cricket across the floor. And, and you watch him uh, orienting himself now to a new world, a new way of being in that world. And he rises up from the ground. And in that act begins the first steps of the long journey of creativity and courage that will make Ray Charles 
one of the most beloved and brilliant musicians of our time. It is interesting to me that in the story we read in Mark's gospel, Jesus does not grant the prayer of the four uh, stretcher bearers immediately. It's interesting to me that the first thing that Jesus does is, is not to heal the body uh, of the man, but to heal his soul. Son, your sins are forgiven. I think, you know, how often I hear people making prayer requests for other people. Think about the requests you hear. Uh, I would say that the majority of the time, the number one thing people pray for is for the healing of somebody, some physical healing. Uh, it's like the, it's the constant refrain by a, by a long margin. Um, but you know, if you think about it, uh, it's a strange thing that our primary concern is the healing of this mortal body. B because if you really ponder it, like the one thing we're absolutely certain of in this life is our bodies are going to decay and we are going to die. I mean, it's just a when issue, okay? It's just a when issue. The, the, the variable issue is what kind of a soul will begin, will bring to that process. The variable issue is, is what kind of soul we have when life leaves us on the ground, when life leaves us uh, looking at our loved ones suffering, when life suddenly puts us across the threshold into the darkness and finally into the brilliant presence of Jesus. What kind of soul will we bring with us to that particular place? So it's okay to pray for physical healing. But we need to remember God may not choose to honor that now. He will definitely honor it when he makes all things new. He may honor it now. Go ahead and pray for it. But our priority prayer ought to be after the model of Jesus and the way he does it. Our priority prayer ought to be for the souls of people, for the spiritual condition with which they greet the circumstances of their life, for the unlocking of any paralysis that may exist at the spiritual level. We should dare to trust Jesus also to do what is most needed. Let me just observe in closing that the one on whose door we knock at night, the one on whose roof we clamber out and try and dig with shameless audacity to get the needs of others or our own needs met, this one is really not like the neighbor in the parable, Jesus tells. It's not like he's, he's hearing us knocking and he's saying, go away, you know, I've got better things to do. The one on whose door we knock, on whose roof we scratch, he is our friend. How oh, he is our amazing friend. He is the one who carries our burdens. He is the one who's poured out his very life's blood to show us how much we matter. He is the one who has shed hot tears of compassion sometimes when he has had to forego giving us what we wanted in order to give us what we most needed. And so, beloved, maybe our greatest intercession for those we love ought to be forgive their sins, Lord. Draw them close to you, Christ. 
Have your own way, Jesus. In the life of this beloved one, have your own way. The way that is best. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do ask you to bring to our minds somebody who is truly on the mat right now. Give us the courage to ask others to share with us the weight of that person's burden. Help us to be faithful in practical ways in carrying that person's concerns to you step by step past the roadblocks onto the roof. Encourage our spirits, Lord, to dig down with shameless audacity, daring to ask what we believe is best, but trusting your great love, your long view of history for what is needed most. In the name of Jesus, we dare to pray, saying together, Amen.